that was the whole theme of the first gay pride march just come out so people can see who we are but it was i i remember my mother saying to me they're going to kill you and i said well i would rather die marching for what i believe in than to live a lie Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. I'm so excited because it's another in-person interview. You might recognize this space. I've been here a few times. It's Pen and Brushes Art Gallery in Chelsea, Manhattan. And I am joined with a very special guest, Michaela Griffo, who actually, her artwork is behind us here. Her artwork is currently, it's coming out this episode. You all are hearing it during the holiday season. Christmas, Hanukkah, happy everything to all of you. Um, hope you all are cozy and comfy. I, I'm probably right now uh, cuddled up in a blanket with snowmen. So, uh, well, a snowman blanket, not with snowmen. That would be a little creepy. Uh, <laughs> but uh, all of you right now can actually come to Pet and Brush's gallery, even though they're closed. There's a QR code outside to scan Michaela Griffo's work. So if you live in Manhattan, scan the code, see Michaela Griffo's work. You can go on to Pen and Brush's website right now. And here is Michaela. She's joined with me. I want to introduce you, Michaela. I mean, there's so many things I could say, but I will say she is a prolific lesbian artist. She is a prolific um, LGBT activist. Specifically, I want to mention she founded Radical Lesbians, which is incredible. And she also was a part of the Gay Liberation Front in the late 19, well, no, in the 1960s. And I think in 1970, you were part of the first Pride March. Yes, I, we planned the first Gay Pride March. I joined uh, I joined uh, the Gay Liberation Front in January of 1970. And, it, um, and so, yes, I was part of that and we planned that first gay pride march. And yes, I marched in the, and it, actually I have pictures of myself, which I didn't send you in uh, 2019. We were the grand marshals for the international march that took place in New York city. And it was, it was really amazing because there were people eight deep on both sides of fifth Avenue. And they just kept screaming. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And the only time I knew I was going to cry at some point, And there was a, part where as we were coming off we were coming down a street crossing sixth avenue and going about to go onto christopher street and there was a little uh, tent like thing set up and these people in their 80s and you know 70 late 70 80s whatever and crutches and wheelchairs they stood up and they applauded us they were the these were the gays that had the worst of it in the 40s the 50s i of course i started to cry you know, because I was applauding them and they're applauding us. And then we turned the corner onto Christopher Street. And when people saw the sign first to march, the, this roar went up. I mean, you it, it, the buildings were shaking because we're on Christopher Street. And, you know, it was just an amazing time. Well, you and everyone deserve that. I was there in 2019. It was so beautiful. The whole parade. I will remember that moment. I hope we can get back to... Uh, that feeling again. I mean, when it became when it went from being a march to a parade, that's kind of where I sort of stepped back from it. Well, and can you explain for everyone out there, like, what is that distinction to you? Like, what was the difference between, say, what you joined, which was the march, founding the march, all of you with the Gay Liberation Front compared to now the parade? Well, when we when we marched up Sixth Avenue in 1970, we didn't go Fifth Avenue. Was we and the police tried to keep us on the sidewalk on Sixth. They didn't want us or, or on like one lane of Sixth Avenue, and it didn't work, of course. But um, I've often talked about this before. Um, prior to the march, uh, you know, we were planning the march. We knew that the police were not going to protect us, obviously. 
And we knew that the mafia wanted, especially the lesbians dead, and I'll tell you why. So we had no protection. And so I knew uh, Sylvia as Ray Rivera. Uh, you know, I met Ray when we were working with the Young Lords, the breakfast programs on the Lower East Side. And I also, you know, knew Guzman and the whole, you know. And so the two nights before the march, I went up to Harlem, in Spanish Harlem, and I said to Yoruba, we have no one to protect us, Yoruba. Do you think that some of your guys could just come down Sunday morning and stand around? And if you see anything, you know, help us. And so come Sunday morning, these young lords showed up with their young lords t-shirts, these strapping, gorgeous, heterosexual Puerto Rican boys. And they were our, they were the people that, you know, were there. But I spoke about this uh, in um, 1995, in the 25th anniversary of Stonewall, Arthur Dong made a, a documentary called Outrage 69 about the original members of the, he, had been, he interviewed the original members of the Gay Liberation Front and, and so, several others and uh, Joan Nessel, people like that who came before us. And one of the things that, you know, I spoke about when I, when we talked about the first gay pride march was two things I will always remember is people that we knew, gay people that many of us knew from the bars or even from, you know, turned their backs on us. They were so, they just, they didn't want us to call them out or, and that to me was very shocking, you know? And the other thing, the story, there's this, a story that I told last night or well, i think it was the night before about very few people know why dykes on bikes are always the first group to go out when in 1971 the gaa came into our gay life we of course the gay liberation front were the radicals the intersectional we work with the panthers young all of this gaa was mostly young college white college educated young boys and they did not want anything to do with women they did. They insisted that women not be in the 1971 Gay Pride March. Now we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have Twitter. We didn't have any of this stuff. But come Sunday morning of June in 1991, Dykes. They were coming from Staten Island, Westchester, Long Island, Brooklyn. You know, every dyke within a hundred mile radius. I swear to God showed up and went right to the front of the march. And to this day, Dykes on Bikes is still the first group to go out. And so that's, a lot of these younger women don't know that history. And also that it was the lesbians who closed the gay bars. It wasn't the men. After Stonewall, I was, you know, obviously I'm the gay liberation front. We're, we're like, you know, these, this rat, we're going to close down everything. So after Stonewall, I mean, the guys, you know, they just went, you know, they could do it on the piers, they could down the rambles in Central Park. But lesbians, we, you know, the only place that we could meet safely was in these gay bars that were owned by the mafia and run by the mafia. And we'd had it with that. I mean, I only went like to twice i went to like cookies or one there was a sea colony there were five of them gianni's cookies a sea colony a few of them and they were just awful they were dark the drinks were expensive and these mafia goons would stand in the doorway and this cookie with this bouffant hairdo i mean they were it was just awful and so of course the gay liberate we talked about it and so the entire gay liberation front men and women decided that because flavia rando and I don't know if you know Flavia. She's head of the Lesbian History Archives now. Yeah, I actually know a uh, shout out to um, Rachel Corbin, who's worked at the Her Story Archives, who I met at Stony Brook, who is now um, doing lesbian uh, fiction scholarship, especially Sarah Schulman's work, who I've had Sarah on the podcast before. Sarah Schulman, yeah. But anyway, they decided that because Flavia and I, I'm a first-generation American, that Flavia and I both spoke Italian and were Italians, that we were going to be the ones who were going to stand outside with the leaflets, inviting women to our dances at Alternate U, which were right down the street from Cookies, which was the largest of them on 14th Street. Alternate U was on 6th. 
And so, you know, and, and the reason they made us do it is because when the goons would come out and start chasing us down the street, we'd yell, non tocar, io sono sangue, don't touch me, I'm blood. And that's real Sicilian, io sono sangue. So I could have been Carlo Gambino's daughter. They had no idea who the hell I was, but then, you know, but anyway, after a while, what started happening is, is, you know, they noticed on Saturday night, their bars were practically empty. And so one night, you know, obviously we're like, we're all dancing away at alternate U, about 200 of us, you know, and there was this long stairwell to get up to where we were on the second floor. And I'm standing there with a, you know, with the money box and I see the door open and I see the guns first and I see them coming up the stairs and they've got the guns and they come upstairs and I grabbed the money box and I slammed it closed and I turned around, I handed it to Donna Gottschuk and I said, get down the stairs as fast as you can and throw this in a garbage bag and get down the stairs. So they come up and I'm like, cool as a cucumber. Can I help you gentlemen? And they're standing there by the gun. They go, where's the money? We want the money. We're going to, we're going to come and get the money every week. I said, you know what? I said, we don't charge anything. I said, this, we just do it for free. I said, you're welcome to stay and dance if you like, you know, we're just treating them like, so they go right over to Martha Shelley of all people, wrong person to go over Martha Shelley. And uh, they go up to her and they go, do you know who we are? And she goes, no, and I don't care. Do you know who we are? We're the Gay Liberation Front. Well, we're going to put you out of business. So then they come back to me. They put the gun right to my head. Music stops. The women are pregnant, having a heart attack. Puts the gun to my head and he goes, if you don't stop this, we're going to kill you. And I said, well, you know what? Then you may as well shoot me right here. I said, because we're not going to stop. And that's why in 1970, when we marched up 6th Avenue, the mafia wanted the lesbians dead. We had put them out of business. Well, so how did, I mean, that is such a powerful narrative, Michaela, but I feel like that conviction and that you giving the middle finger in a figurative way of I'm not intimidated. How did this, that conviction um, just has, how, how did you know that you needed to stand up, speak out and show your authenticity, whether it be you being a lesbian activist or whether, you know, now looking back at your career as an artist, where do you feel that comes from? just that guts. I think that it was my whole generation. It wasn't just me. I mean, when I think of those students that stood up for the Vietnam War, against the Vietnam War and were shot and killed and at Kent State, I mean, we, we were not, the thing that was different about the Gay Liberation Front is that we were intersectional. We worked with the Panthers on the breakfast programs, on all of their, you know, they they wanted to change society. We wanted to change society. But there was some understanding between all of us, not with the weather people, because they were busy blowing everything up. And we, we there was no, we were not into violence. Um, we were into, well, I was used to say, don't vote gay friendly, vote gay. We were into getting gays into politics, into corporations, getting people to come out. That was the first gay pride, come out, come out, come out. We wanted, that was the whole theme of the first gay pride march, just come out so people can see who we are. But it was, I, I remember my mother saying to me, they're going to kill you. And I said, well, I would rather die marching for what I believe in than to live a lie. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. And now, a message from the Gay and Lesbian Review. Hello, listeners. This is Stephen Hemrick, the publisher of the GNLR, here with a special offer just for you. For those of you who aren't familiar with the GNLR, let me provide a little background. The GLR is a 
bi-monthly magazine of history, culture, and politics that publishes essays in a wide range of disciplines, as well as a slew of reviews of books, plays, and movies, and a number of special features such as artists' profiles and the popular art memo column. Each issue brings you consistently intelligent, lively, thought-provoking articles focused on a unifying theme and brings together the leading minds on the topic. You won't find a lot about the latest dating fads or fashion trends, though you might find articles about online dating as a social phenomenon or the gay influence on 20th century fashion. For example, the theme of the current issue is Queens and Kings, and it features an article by Andrew Holleran about Truman Capote's relationships with glamorous women, the women he called his swans. Now for the special offer. When you subscribe, you'll receive a free copy with any print or digital subscription. That's seven issues instead of six. Visit georeview.org. That's G-L-R-E-V-I-E-W dot O-R-G. Click subscribe and enter promo code I-T-B-R for your free issue. And as an added bonus, you'll receive online access to all archive issues of the magazine. The Ivory Tower Boiler Room is so happy to welcome Broadview Press as our official sponsor. Broadview Press is an independent academic publisher in the humanities that produces high-quality, pedagogically useful books for use in university and college classrooms. They publish in the humanities, mainly in English studies, writing, philosophy, and history. They always publish with an eye towards diversity, so there is a strong list of titles from women, people of color, and other authors from marginalized groups. In the summer of 2022, they launched their new Broadview anthology of American literature, which increases diversity in the classroom because it rethinks the American canon and breathes new life into the American literary survey. It's actually been called, quote, the new gold standard in the field. I love using Broadview Press text in my own classroom at Stony Brook University. I can't wait to use the new anthology of American literature when I have the opportunity. And for all of you out there, Broadview Press has given us the official code, Ivory Tower, for 20% off site-wide on broadviewpress.com. Again, that is code Ivory Tower for 20% off. I mean, that was just that was just the whole feeling we had so, so much against us. I mean, if you were gay, the suicides I had to see, I mean, my God, people would tell their parents they were gay and their parents would cut off their college education, cut off everything. You know, uh, you were fired from your job. You were thrown out of your apartment. There was no way you, if you were gay, openly gay, you could have an apartment. Two women couldn't live together. I mean, for women, it was a whole other thing. Couldn't get a credit card, couldn't get a mortgage. I mean, women, it was like, we were so, we were oppressed. And that's what, the, I don't understand these people today that are so, you know, like, oh, violence. You know, it's like, I gave them a perfect example the other night of how I don't understand what's going on with this generation, you know, this gay now. I spoke at Dartmouth College because I belong to the Generations Project. And I'm sure you know them. They're great. Or if you don't, you should know them because they're fantastic. They have people from 80 to 18 that get together, write stories, tell their stories. We even had a guy who was in his 90s uh, tell what it was like to be in World War II, to be gay in World War II. So it's this kind of thing. But anyway, I spoke at Dartmouth College. And when I was finished about our history, I'm telling history. And this young woman, probably about 20 years old, puts her hand up. She goes, you know, when you misgender people, that's violence. I don't know why she said, because I wasn't misgendering anyone. And I said, I said, I'm going to stop you right there. I said, when you misgender somebody, it's rude and insensitive. I said, violence is when a cop calls you a fucking queer, hits you over the head so hard with his baton that you have a headache for three weeks, cuffs you until your wrist bleeds, and then throws you cuffed into the, with the full force of his body into the back of a paddy wagon. I said, that's what I experienced as violence over and over and over again. So you can stand there and tell me that misgendering somebody is violence. Well, we're, I mean, that is, 
Yes, exactly. To the point of that's what violence you've lived through, you've seen, and what there's this writing that Michaela sent me. And I actually, you got right to it. I want to read this quote because I think it is so powerful. And it was, you were at a QA, and um, um, and you were on this panel about women colleges or no, 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 no. It was, it was Alexis Clements, who was a dear friend. I adore her. She made a movie called What We've Lost. It was about the closing of lesbian bars all over the country. And when there was a Q&A, this woman said, well, I don't understand why we even had women's colleges in the first place. And I'm like, that was it for me. I just, I just went off on a, you know, like, because, you know, well, you know what it was, you don't know what it was like to be a woman in the 1960s. And, you know, anyway, there was a reason why we had women's and needed women's colleges so women could get a decent education. So simply afterwards, I asked them to remove my, my, cause I just didn't want to do that to Alexis. I just, it was like, and so I sent them a whole, this, what you're in some of what you're going to read about my life. Yes. You know? Yes. And well, I, something that always is striking me when I'm reading either a response you have about, um, we'll get into it after this, which is when some try to call you queer and not call you a lesbian, and they're not asking, talk about not asking permission. Um, they're just, you know, throwing that on you as an identity. And we'll get into another topic that I'm curious about, which is when a work is considered queer, but it doesn't have to do with identity when it's coming from someone's impression of a work. So before all of that, I'm teasing, I'm teeing this up like a golf match, but, um, I really love what Michaela writes, um, where in response to why did women colleges exist or why did we need women colleges? Um, you say, brought my anger that the political activism of the current generation has absolutely no understanding of what we lost and how hard women had to fight and continue to fight while being constantly demeaned by men in power and many of the trans women activists. It has never occurred to any of them to ask the older generation who risked their lives, were beaten and arrested, losing jobs and family, so that they could have the privilege of living this variety of gender and pronoun diversity, how we feel about being called queer. And I'm right here with a microphone getting this privilege. And it is a privilege, Michaela. I want you to know that because it's not every day I get to talk to someone who was there from the beginning of the Pride March from being with the Gay Liberation Front. Um, to just ask you, why do you think, I'm a millennial, I'm 30, but why do you think that there is this fracturing or this miscommunication, maybe a miscommunication? Do you think that there isn't enough spaces to have what we're doing right now, which is, an intergenerational conversation. Do you feel that this isn't happening a lot where those who are younger get to talk to the older gay community and actually hear about what you went through? This is why I belong to the Generations Project and why I, I you know, so I think it's just such an important um, organization. I said the same thing to Gwen the other night when these questions came up from women who here were here who were binary um fluid and whatever else they call um that we need we need to because i don't i no longer feel like i have a community because lesbians have been basically buried um our history has been buried our history has been changed um you know and i i don't know what is going on with all this identity politics I feel like it's really dividing our community. I mean, my feeling is you're either gay or lesbian. And this whole thing about binary fluid, sexually fluid, blah, blah, blah. And queer is the one that really gets me because uh, a lot of people who identify as queer, to me, it's, well, 
I just don't want to be seen as heteronormative. I'm just, instead of dyeing my hair blue and having a nose ring, I'm just going to call myself queer. It doesn't mean that they've ever experienced any kind of same sex, because that's, you can't even say that, same sex relationships. I mean, I just don't get what these people are fighting about and fighting for. But it's certainly, I, I said it about five years ago when I first started seeing, and it's not, because I, I have friends who are transgender and I love them. And like I say, you know, I, I go into the deep South and the poorest parts of the South with another group that I work with, Remote Area Medical. I'm a social worker as well. A lot of people don't know that I have a master's in social work from NYU and I worked in psychiatric emergency and in clinics for years. Um, never saw any of this that I'm seeing now where every other person is, you know, thinks that they're transgender it's frightening to me what's going on especially with young girls because you ask any woman my age gay or straight they're all tomboys when they were young because women couldn't do anything you know, sit around in a pink dress i mean who the hell wants to have you know we wanted to climb trees go camping you know become doctors you know become scientists they were we were not allowed to do any of that these kids nowadays there is nothing that they cannot do so I don't understand what is going on with all of this. It's like they, they, I just, I don't understand it. Do you think, cause this has come up on the podcast and I listen to a lot of uh, pop culture podcasts. Shout out to my friend Taylor who has a cancel me baby podcast. And I'm sure she's listening to this right now because this is up, up her alley, but there is this victimhood mentality. That's not just in, LGBT circles, it's, I would say, a generational shift that I've even distanced myself from friends who don't want to have nuanced conversations because they might disagree with you. And because they disagree with what you say, um, you now are a pariah. And it's not that you're hurting them, but you're just saying, you know, wait, let's take a step back and let's dissect this language or let's dissect where you're coming from or even in your case with that um, student's response to you, well, wait, why is that violence to you? It Disrespect is different than violence with rhetoric. So I, I just said to her, you know, it's rude and insensitive. I If somebody wants me to call them she or whatever, who, whatever their pronouns are, fine. You know, I don't care. But, you know, there's something about the fact that, as I said in that other thing I sent to you, about how I really resent trans women activists telling me I should sleep with them or I'm a transphobe. I've a turf. I had enough of that from straight men. I don't need to hear it from a biological male who now identifies as a female telling me that I need to I need to be attracted to them. And it just it's just like the whole thing is like. I don't believe the three-year-old children should be told that women have penises and men can get pregnant. I think this is very damaging. I think that if the gay liberation spewed this kind of crap, we all, all would have been dead. Well, and of course, you know, everyone who's listening, I'm sure they all have different opinions. They already, they already canceled. No, no. It's with you. And this is what I love is... I feel that so many are not saying what's on their mind. And I see the censorship terrified that they're going to lose their job. I don't care because you look at my art. It's all about this is what and the the question that you asked me originally uh, before we, we even started this was, you know, my art, where did it come from? I came from a violent alcoholic home where you were never allowed to say what you saw. You were told you didn't see it. It didn't happen. And so I am like the Cassandra of the art world and of the gay world. I say what I see and I don't care. And you are a model because the thing is, I always say I do not. My job as the host of the Ivory Tower Boiler Room leaving this interview with you is not to agree with everyone who I interview. It's to have these really exciting and stimulating and nuanced conversations because these perspectives are ones that I feel are not happening 
um, face to face that there is almost a mask that people are wearing because they're afraid of a backlash and destroying our whole culture. When I, you know, for me, drag queens were a very important part of our culture. And now they're lumped in with, you know, groomers and trans activists and whatever. And telling children that, you know, women have penises and all this other bullshit. And the truth is, is that's why I feel our community is just being totally splintered. Lesbians have left. I mean, that was the agreement that 12 of us were sitting up there, you know, the other night talking. And all of us agreed that lesbians have been drummed out of the out of the movement. Gay men are, have been silenced. I don't even know where they are. They're on Fire Island when I was at a. At Cherry Grove this summer, but but also talk about a place where generational conversations happen. For me, there's something so powerful when I went to Fire Island, to Cherry Grove especially, and saw lesbian women, bi women, bi men, gay men. In the Grove, I used to live in, uh, for two years, I, I had a place in the summer, and Esther Newton was my neighbor. Oh, yeah. Esther Newton, for everyone out there, wrote this really incredible Cherry Grove, Fire Island uh, cultural book of scholarship. Um, but I'm just there's so much to go off of with this censoring idea and something that I so value. And everyone out there, you need to look up. I was instantly attracted to the Disneyfication, these Disney princesses who are having lesbian moments, there's kisses happening, there's such passion, but you also pair them in your art with other cultural um, moments, whether it be Degrassi, the TV show, or whether it be something in real life. So like, I've always been curious, it seems that you're always blending fantasy mixed with reality like isn't this what society does as a long islander i was so excited when i finally found a med spa that totally matched everything i wanted i was looking for a good facial place a good place that had skin products and guess what in my hometown now of port jeff village there is skin med spa and i'm here with the owner lauren who's going to explain to you all what kinds of services are offered products that are offered and you know why you should come to skin med spa if you're in the long island or new york city area well we wanted to open up a place that was offering all holistic natural treatments that were really providing results driven um, where someone could come in, maybe struggling with acne and has tried so many different products and they couldn't find what was right for them. So we customize all treatments to really help you dive into your skincare goals, whether it's anti-aging, rejuvenation, like I said, acne, just to help with cellular turnover, focus on building healthy skin. Um, we have two locations. We have skin and spa and body right here in Port Jeff Village. And again, we focus on all natural plant-based skincare. We'll help you design a good custom skincare line for you and we'll help you find the right treatments, whatever your skin needs. Yeah. So Lauren and Sarah, they know that I get a cupping here. I get hydrofacials with Rosie. I get jet peel facials with Lauren. Everything here is so wonderfully curated, like Lauren said. And there's just any kind of product. Oh, I know there's now laser hair removal. I mean, there's always a new product being offered. So Everyone out there who's listening, if they want to come to Skin Med Spa in Port Jeff Village, how can they find you and get in touch? We're really active on social media. So at Skin Med Spa PJ on Instagram, that's the best way you could probably find us because we really try to post daily updates of our clients and who's coming in and the treatments that we're doing. Um, and of course, on our website, there's always links down how to book an appointment. But everything we do when you call us, that's always the best way. We answer the phone and we'll talk forever and help you find whatever is perfect for you. Okay, well, hopefully Lauren gets to meet you all. Say that you heard Skin Med Spa's ad on the Ivory Tower Boiler Room, and maybe I'll see you all here. Okay. Sounds good. Bye. Thank you. I mean, I grew up with all of these, you know, the prince will come and, you know, all these, you know, Cinderella stories and all this. When you look at them, there's a lot of violence behind a lot of towards women, especially in these stories. But when I started wanting to 
Well, one of the first paintings I did was the one about what you said, the two girls. This It was two television programs in 2005. One was Degrassi, The Next Generation, and that was Alex and Paige. And then there was Spencer and Ashley from South of Nowhere. And so I called it Sleeping Beauty Awakens. And instead of showing them with the prince kissing the prince, it's Snow White kissing Sleeping Beauty. And Cinderella's trying to get in on the action, but her wicked stepsister's pulling her away. And the little animals on the bottom, I mean, this one little thing, so gay, swinging the pearls and everything, that even the fairy godmothers are happy. And the whole point of that is, is, you know, these, this is the lies we were told as children, you know, all these fairy tales and especially girls, you know, the, oh, this is going to, you know. And that you had to have these, you know, roles that you had to play. And so my painting just goes, boom, this is not true. Here's the truth. One of the paintings that is not here is it's called, Why Haven't We Heard About the Girls? And it was about the priest molesting of the girls. Because when it all broke, and, the, you know, it was always about these priests, they tried, you know. So the comic through the middle, the first three panels are actual stories. From, you know, about having to get abortions, the priests at 13 years old, you know, all these were true stories that came out in Boston. And then the fourth panel, she's saying, why is it we haven't heard about the girls? And the last panel, the priest is saying, because we wanted you to believe it was a homosexual conspiracy. Your questions just get in our way. Wait, and which uh, piece of work is this? That, that is called "Why Haven't We Heard About the Girls?" It's not up. It's not in the gallery. It's, they have it here. No, I'm sorry, it's in my studio. Um, but yeah, my work is always punching holes through things, and even the even the little watercolors, you know, that I do. That there's that one story about was true in Missouri where these she you know, she says Jane and I've lived in this community for 20 years. We raised our children here. We belonged to the PTA. We were members of the church. Everybody knew what we were, but they made us feel very loved. When gay marriage when marriage became legal, we got married and came home to find out that our neighbors had burned our home to the ground. Which is a true story. 2018 in Missouri. Wow. Wow. And there's, and that's what is so powerful about your work is you're speaking to historic moments. You're speaking to fantasy. Like you said, I agree with you that our everyday lives are a blend of reality and fiction. That's dreams are so powerful. What we're just where our minds go during the day is as powerful as this lived moment right now with you. And um, just because I didn't ask you for everyone out there, what is the GAA? Because you mentioned that group. I'm sorry, they're the Gay Activist Alliance. They came in because they a lot of people felt that the Gay Liberation Front was too, you know, we were like the Panthers, but gay, you know. And so these college boys did not want to be out there, you know. They didn't want to be doing the kind of actions that we were doing which were very radical and which would change society. They wanted to, they wanted to have sex. And that their, their whole point was, you know, we're gay. We wanted to have sex wherever we want. We want the cops out of our lives. We want the mafia out of our lives. But us women getting the mafia out of our lives. But, and, so, and, and they wanted nothing to do with women. It, the Gay Activist Alliance, there was no lesbian in there. Then they had this one lesbian, Jean O'Leary, that they got as like a spokesperson. I think she was about, she and Ginny Vita were like the two women that belonged to the GAA. But, you know, they, they at every opportunity, they didn't want, they had this place called the Firehouse down on Wooster Street, which was three stories. It was, had been a firehouse. They said these dances there, no women allowed. They did not women want the women at their dances. They didn't want, even, you know, even uh, Sylvia and Marsha would try to go down there because the, they were not transgender. Marsha always used to, you know, Marsha often dresses a man. Um, they were transvestites, which was a little bit because of the work that they did in the streets. I mean, th that's how they earn their living. So they would, as as Ray, used to, Sylvia used to say, I'm just a guy that likes to wear dresses. And if you listen to Eric Marcus's Making Gay History, his, you'll hear the interview with Sylvia. And I would tell people, well, I always called her Ray. And they said, what? And so the first thing she says to Eric Marcus is, call me Ray. Well, and 
I'm glad you laid out that gay activist alliance because it reminds me of the split between when I was, I interviewed Jack Parlett about his book on Fire Island and the literary and cultural scene. And I learned so much. I spent a week there for my 30th birthday in September and I stayed at the Belvedere, which Yes, is, you know, women were never allowed, but it was such a great, wasn't it such a fantasy place to be a guy just so I could go to the Belvedere Hotel? Yeah. Oh, well, the clothing optional element there is definitely. Um, but I also met so many artists and I met so many interesting men. And I also met so many interesting women at Cherry Grove because I went right after Labor Day. And that was my favorite time because I got to know the local scene and just the stories, the histories. Going to P-Town in September or off-season, yeah. yeah. I like off-season things. I don't like big, huge crowds. Um, but I, it's interesting because I was hearing that, I'm trying to remember, was it Calvin Klein who went to the Pines? or There was like some fashion. To bring boatloads of 16-year-old boys over when I was living in Cherry Grove. Oh, yeah. He was, you know, and he was so closeted, but he'd bring these, you know, boatloads of young, good-looking boys to his parties. Sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's going to be what the press picks up from this. <laughs> They'll be like, did you know about Calvin Klein? Every guy, I mean, you ask any guy that was around, like, you know, this was in 1990, uh, you know, 92, I think it was, in 92 through 94, I was out there. And even in the 80s, I used to go out there occasionally, but it was, he was notorious for these parties he would have with these young boys and all. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't want this next part to be a pity party on Andrew right now, but it is interesting. I have been getting a lot of, I won't say backlash, but because I work on, and Michaela follows me on Instagram, but I work on Whitman, Oscar Wilde. I'm so interested in male homoerotic art. And um, can you just shout out, Michaela sent me this amazing uh, male nude exhibit that um, the, it's uh, in in uh, 2016, I believe. Yeah, uh, I was at the Musée d'Orsay. I was at the actually at the opening in the Musée d'Orsay at Paris of the show Masculine, Masculine, which was the male gaze. And it was portraits, nude portraits of men. And it went from pre-Raphaelite work, Greeks too, the Romans and Greeks, right up straight through Kehenda Wiley. And they were all gorgeous nudes of men. Yeah. And... I find that what is so fascinating to me is because I'm so focused on male homoerotic desire and I'm so invested in this genealogy and like how the white male body has been constructed in this fantasy world by Whitman or Wilde or, you know, take it into the 20th century. It exists with Gore Vidal's The City and the Pillar that I've gotten backlash of, okay, but... What else are you going to do with that? Or how can you make it more diverse has been said to me by those who aren't always LGBT. And I'm so in interested in that because I think, well, I am, in my opinion, being diverse in that I'm looking into my own identity and trying to find my own genealogy. It's a great point. This is a problem I have with what used to be the Leslie Lohman Museum of gay and lesbian art and then it was became the future is queer and that again means nothing to me it's really interesting because when when Alyssa Nitchum and this is not an insult to her but when she became the new director after Gonzalo left who I adore Gonzalo Casals um, she invited me to come and sit and talk with her and I did and she called me queer and I said you have no right to call me a queer I said, you know, I do not identify with that word at all. I said, and I don't know what that means in terms of now that the museum, instead of being gay and lesbian art, is now queer art. Because a lot of the art I was starting to see there, it, I don't even know what it was about, but it had no bearing on, like what you're saying, that they're trying to get you to take Walt Whitman and, you know, Oscar Wilde, who are icons of gay literature and somehow do what? And they want me to get the sex out of it. That to me is the most fascinating thing. Sex? What does that mean? Well, in the sense of what I'm so invested in is, and in a few months, I mean, I have to shout out Gail Publisher because 
they took a chance on me. And I have an article called Walt Whitman and Queer Theory. And I look at every generation that's looked at his homoerotic work in scholars circles and like those who outed him as gay, which I think is such important work. How I now look into his poetics as queer, but that doesn't mean that I don't see, like to me, homoerotics can take on a lot of aspects in poetry, but the sex element that I'm talking about, I think Michaela is more that when someone accuses me, but you've, I think, been accused of a similar um, stance is that from our own lived experiences, I think we are being transgressive just as being so open about the body and eroticism. But I find that there is a backlash that exists and the backlash is to maybe sometimes label it as queer because what's identity, not in terms of poetry, because I do think they're, like if someone says, and they're walking around this exhibit here at Pen and Brush, and they say, oh, that seems like a queer, uh, queer artwork. Like, do you take that differently than say, someone trying to define you as queer? Um, I, I identify as a lesbian, period. The word queer, as it's used today, means nothing to me. Like I say, it just means somebody who, it, like, instead of, you know, dyeing their hair, you know, blue and wearing a nose ring and getting a tattoo so that they don't look, you know, heteronormative. But it hasn't, I, I don't understand where these people are coming from. I have no allegiance to them. I don't think I would ever have wanted any of them to be standing beside me in 1970 and risking their lives. They don't understand we risked our lives in order for gays to be able to just live, to go to college without being thrown out. You would be thrown out of college if you came out in the 70s. You would lose your apartment. You, you know, your family would disown you. It was like you, you were like treated like a criminal. Kids just like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm queer. I'm this, you know, and they're putting this word on everything everything is queer because i think that's what the new slogan of the leslie loman is the future is queer or whatever and i'm like i i I just don't understand what the hell that means in terms of what was a museum of gay and lesbian art for me they'll be like going to the studio museum and suddenly people who are not black are showing their work but saying that we're allies we're, we're black allies or El Barrio, and they're they're not any form of Latinx or anything like that. But we're allies. Well, that I feel is what is happening to the gay community, what used to be the gay community, by the use of the word queer. Well, and when I say the sex is kind of being taken out, like this hasn't been aired to the public, this writing that I've done yet, because it's in my dissertation, which will be out soon and hopefully I can find a publisher because it is juicy and steamy. And I think my whole discussion about Whitman and the power of the phallus and how he vocalizes the male orgasm and the sounds in his poetry is pretty interrog- interrogating and bringing the sexiness into Whitman, which I've read a lot of work that considers Whitman or will say that an artwork is queer or a book has the title queer in it, which for everyone out there, it's an umbrella term. It's supposed to be universal as non-heteronormative, like Michaela's already said, against, you know, straightness, against anything called heteronormativity. But because it's this umbrella term, I also sometimes will turn to a scholar's work and be so excited, like, oh, wow, they're interrogating eroticism in Whitman or they're interrogating and critiquing and going to bring to light so much uh, sexual discussions in poetry. And then guess what, Michaela? There's nothing sexy. There's nothing about homoeroticism. There's nothing about male bathers or, you know, um, what we would consider same-sex desire. Do you? I was about to say, I think it's because all these not all, but a lot of these people that identify as queer, they do not want to 
identify as gay or lesbian because that would mean there was sexuality involved. And so, I mean, I just, I'm horrified at the number of women that call themselves queer, but it, but have never had a same-sex relationship. I'm going to give you an example of when I knew it was over for lesbians. In 2018, I went to the gay, I, I used to give a lot of money to the Gay Film Festival, the New Fest, because I, I love to support our work. And there was a film called Man Made. It was the story, okay, it was the story of, as you know, of four lesbians who become men. They, they the hormones, they become bodybuilders. Now, out of these four men, only one woman stayed with her partner through the whole transition, right to the end. Okay, so we get to the end of the film now, and this woman who stayed with her partner through everything says, you know, I, I still love him, but I am no longer attracted to him because I'm a lesbian. And she talked about how difficult it was for her to come out to her family and her friends and whatever. And she said, but I... I'm a lesbian. I want to be with a woman. I love women's bodies. All of these women started booing in the audience. Boo, real loud. Because all she's saying is, I want to be with a woman. I'm a lesbian. And but that's her attraction. Right. But so she said, so when the when the film was the QA, I asked Tia Leone, who was the producer, I said, I said, I'm gonna ask you one question. I said, I know this film has been shown at film festivals around the country. Was this the reaction to this woman saying that she's a lesbian and she wants to be with a woman? And, and she said, yes. And I got up and I walked up. I never been to the gay film festival since I don't give them money. I don't, because it's become the QT festival. As far as I'm concerned, every film is about queers and transgender and the, the lesbian and gay. I mean, I think they've tried to get a little bit more, you know, uh, one year they did show Carol and, and another one, but basically the shorts, all of it's, it's just the focus is on this queer business, which it's just, I don't get it. It's, I don't feel part of that community. And I risked my life so that we could have this community so that women could love women, men could love men. I don't know what else is going on there. Yeah. Well, Michaela, I think you definitely get it to what you sent to me about your opinion on the word queer, which in this writing, and then I'll turn to your other writing. Mason Funk, Mason Funk, that was one of the questions that he, uh, outwards, he has that whole thing where he interviewed all the, you know, really well-known people who were part of the original movement. So that was the question you can, you can. Yeah, no, no, thank you for laying the foundation. Um, but you spoke to it here and you spoke to it in your other writing, but you know, you say, I am a woman, I am a lesbian and do not dare start putting academic labels on me because you have internalized homophobia to the point of turning what was our community into a word salad. And in another section, I think you exactly nailed, it's a queer aesthetic. Like what you're getting to, to me, sounds more like an aesthetic that it's more of a badge in a way to say you're not to say you're queer, but even to just show things that you consider are quote unquote queer art, which is that why is it coming from overeducated white privileged people who are demanding that you identify in a certain way as queer? Hey, True Crime and Ivory Tower Boiler Room listeners. Listen, the holidays are literally right around the corner. And I know that some of you are scrambling to find that gift for that person on your list who is just so difficult to buy for because they have everything. Or you're sitting there in your home and you're realizing that there is this space in your house that just is begging to be decorated, but you don't know what to put there. Well, I'm here to tell you that Mandy Made It has the answers to all of your holiday needs. Mandy Made It makes the best handmade crochet and cricut items I have ever seen. And I mean, literally, she can make anything. The customization options are literally endless. So go to at Mandy Made It on Instagram and search Mandy Made It on Facebook. Slide into her DMs 
and order your customized holiday gifts and decorations today. That's at Mandy Made It on Instagram. And Mandy is spelled M-A-N-D-E-E. Once again, search Mandy Made It on Instagram and Facebook. Slide in her DMs and order your gifts or holiday decorations today. Do you have a queer fascination with classic films? Ever wish you'd be transported back to that golden age of cinema as if you're in the movies themselves? Hi, my name is Christian Garcia, and I am the host of that old gay classic cinema. Join my friends and I as we travel back in time to that classic age of film and peel back the layers of how these films transformed our view behind the camera and into the lens of cinema. Make sure to follow my Instagram at that old gay classic cinema, and I'll be sure to save you a seat at our next showing. See you there. to Alyssa Nitchum when I was at the Leslie Loam and I said if because you know I work in with the poorest parts of the country down the backwoods of Kentucky I said if I ever called somebody queer down there I'd be looking at the end of a double buck shotgun you know that this this aesthetic is oh, I'm queer I'm just you know I I work with trans people down there I sit there I talk to them you know I make sure that they get good health care I ask them about their communities you know but I feel like what all of this, that's the cancel culture, all of this crap, you know, pronouns, it's coming out of a very white, educated community. The academia, basically, these labels, when I first heard the word cisgender, it sounded like a disease. I didn't know what the hell it was. And I'll remember in 2019, I was asked to speak at the New York Historical Society. And I walked in about our, about uh, the lesbians and, and the gay bars. And I walked in and this woman said to me, what are your pronouns? And I said, what? I, I had I'd never even asked something. I said, what do you mean? What are my pronouns? I said, what do I look like? He was insulted. And so, you know, she said, well, we have to give you a badge with your pronoun. And I said, no, you don't. And I just walked and I gave my speech. And when I introduced myself, same as I did here the other night with 55 women or trans or whatever, everybody was everything, binary fluid here. Um, I said, I introduced myself as a generic lesbian, which is the way I introduced myself. I spoke to 450 Google employees, LGBT Google employees this summer in June with the Generations Project. And I stood on this stage. I said, I'm a generic lesbian. I said, I'm not binary fluid. I'm not. I said, I am a woman who loves women. And I told, I ended my speech there after I told the history. I said, I put up a slide and this is true. In June of 2022, pastor out in Texas told his entire community to go out and start shooting lesbians because they're the most dangerous people in the world. And, and I said he must have come home and found his wife watching Call My Agent or Killing Eve. I said, what woman wouldn't love watching, you know, a woman dressed in Comme de Gar a beautiful lesbian dressed in Comme de Garçon, killing and torturing evil men. Got a standing ovation. They were nuts. So here we are now. We have this thing where there's all these people called queer, blah, blah, blah. And then I turn on my television and I see these fabulous lesbians, not binary fluid. I mean, you tell me that you know, Andrea Martel and, you know, in call my agent or, you know, kill Eve and, and, you know, I just, so no matter what program I turn on, it's, there's always some kind of fabulous lesbian in it, but in my society and the life, I, nobody's a lesbian. Yeah. So I don't get, I just don't get it anymore. What's happening to my community. Yeah. Well, and I actually do feel ashamed calling myself a gay man. And I'll tell you why, which is I feel like sometimes I have to code switch my language, which is when I'm writing in academic circles. Yes. Shout out to the academics out there um, that I do have to consider it queer male work or I have to use the word queer because that's how it's read in academic circles. But, you know, there are times where I try to identify I am gay. Like, that's how I identify myself. I worked hard at coming out when I was a freshman in high school. 
And I wish we were at a point where we could, you know, right. I'm sure some of us wish that we didn't use any sexual orientation language, but I don't think we're at a point where people can just, um, well, what do you think of that, Michaela? Do you think that there would ever be a point where we're outside of a sexual language of orientation where we wouldn't have identity terms? Is you can change your exterior, which is your performance, your gender. You cannot change your sexual orientation. I remember, and I admire her greatly, Caitlyn Jenner, um, that she when she was first interviewed after she the transition and somebody said to her, so you're, you're dating women now. And it kind of said, oh, you're a lesbian. Oh, my God. I thought she was going to have a heart attack because she can't change her sexual orientation. She's dating women because her sexual orientation as a man was heterosexual. And so I think that, you know, instead of having all this queer and gender flute, but you either are attracted to the same sex or you're not. End of story. That's it. We don't have to have all these in a, a five billion genders because gender is simply the way you present yourself. You know, I'm a butch woman. I know that, you know, maybe that's why she asked me what my pronouns were. I don't know. But I certainly don't identify as a man. I And as I told these young women that were here the other night, um, you know, I come from a, and this is what I tell whenever I speak about being a lesbian, I come from a long line of women that built their own homes, fixed their own cars, started music festivals, organic farms, communes. None of this was considered male behavior. This was all being a strong woman some were more feminine some were butch but we were all women and we were not binary fluid we were women with it's all this like stereotyping now is ridiculous yeah yeah well because i did tell michaela we have ivory tower boiler room subscribers who pay five dollars a month shout out to them um no no they're not no no because everyone wants these I think so many people are so desirous of such open conversations where they don't feel that they're going to instantly have the door slammed in their face. I would love to, you know, I mean, like I say, when I went to Dartmouth and I've been at other colleges and they sit, just they throw these things out. This is violence. And I would like to just sit down and talk to them about, you know, have you ever been with a woman if you're, if you're a guy, have you ever been with a man? Are you attracted to men? Or, you know, what? What is going on? Well, what is going on is this answer is going to be addressed on our subscriber channel. So for everyone out there, you know, head over to patreon.com slash ivory tower boiler room because Michaela is going to get into all of this for, I think Michaela can give us another 10 minutes. What do you think, Michaela? I'm happy to do whatever you want. I just. Oh, thank you, Michaela. So we're going to jump right into that on our Ivory Tower Boiler Room Cafe channel. So $5 a month and you're going to get more of Michaela's hard hitting answers. <laughs> Hi, Ivory Tower Boiler Room audience. It is Andrew Rimby, the director of the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. Welcome to our winter season. And are you trying to stay warm this season? Well, guess what? We have the Ivory Tower Boiler Room Cafe. It is our Patreon where there is so much bonus content. So I'll go over all that. But first, it's only $5, which is less then a latte, a cappuccino, a coffee, a tea, basically anything now because, you know, we have some inflation going on. So join us on our Patreon, patreon.com slash ivory tower boiler room. What do you get? You get Gregory Maguire giving us all the scoop on the Wicked Movie musical. You get Jesse Green giving us his hot takes on the Broadway musical. 
If you don't know who Jesse is, well, you should, because he's the chief theater critic of the New York Times. You get all the JFK and Marilyn Monroe scoop from Elizabeth Winder, a Marilyn Monroe biographer. So much more. You get all our video interviews. You can see everything, including the bonus content. And Mary's going to tell you from True Crime and Academia what you get later. But if you're not following us on social media and seeing our video teasers, well, you need that to stay, you know, nice and energized on these winter days. So follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Ivory Tower Boiler Room. While it's still here, why don't you follow us on Twitter at Ivory Boiler Room? And here's my chief contributor, Mary. Hey, true crime friends and Ivory Tower Boiler Room friends. Like Andrew said, you're going to get access to all of this bonus content. That includes true crime and academia. So not only will you have access to the bonus episode each month, you will also have video access to the interviews that I conduct on my podcast once a month. You get all of that extra content at your fingertips whenever you feel like watching it, literally for a cup of coffee. So why don't you just buy us one? That'd be so nice. We would appreciate that because we love your support already, but we could use a little bit more if you don't. Oh, mind. yes, we could. And also, hey, do you all know you can actually DM us questions at our social media channels? Yes. Also, why don't you ask us questions with our social media posts? We love it. We even shout out questions on our episodes. And if you want, you can always email us at ivorytowerboilerroom at gmail.com to actually order our merchandise. So mm-hmm. we have hats, we have t-shirts, we have posters, we have everything. If you want any merchandise with the Ivory Tower Boiler Room logo, we're going to make it happen for you. Okay, on that note, happy winter season, everyone. Happy winter. <laughs>